Hallelujah. Our God is greater. Spend a lot of time arguing these days about who's the greatest. Right? Listening to a show while I was driving around last week. One guy said, LeBron James is the greatest. Another guy said, Michael Jordan is the greatest. Some old guy got on there and says, you guys never even heard of Wilt Chamberlain. You know, always want to argue about who's the greatest. I'm glad I know. I'm glad I know who the greatest is. Amen. Our God is the greatest. Hallelujah. Good to see you in God's house this morning. Thank you for coming out today. God bless you. This, This cool winter morning. To paraphrase my father, I know some places colder. Amen. So I'm still glad to be here. Some places this morning, I don't even know if they got. I don't even know if they got out of the house today. But we're grateful. We're thankful. We don't get much in the way of seasons here, but we do get a taste every once in a while, and it's always a good reminder of our God's creative power. To have organized his creation in such a way that we can experience all of the different climates and all of the different ways that he has made this world a place for us to live in. And I rejoice in it. And I'll be glad when it warms up a bit later on, but I'll be I'll be all right for a little while. Amen. Uh, if you know you know all the means of giving today, if you'd like to give, we can uh, accommodate you electronically, digitally, in person, in the mail, however seems best to you, whatever works best for you and your family. Thank you so much for your faithfulness. Let me remind you to be on the prayer call this afternoon at 5 o'clock. Yes. 5 o'clock, all right? Wednesdays at 12 noon. And uh, we're going to take a shot again at Bible study this week. I make no guarantees. We're going to try to be there at 7.45 on Wednesday evening, back in church next Sunday morning for Sunday school. Open your Bibles this morning to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, beginning at verse 16, going to read down through verse 25. I thank God for the Word of God, which today says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first, but also for the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, 
His invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power in Godhead, so that all are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible men and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. May the blessing of God accompany the reading of His Word. Let us pray together this morning. Father, I'm so thankful for this day, so thankful for this opportunity once again to open the word of life, to hear from the mind and heart of you today, O God. Let the Holy Spirit of heaven, who inspired and preserved and superintended these words, open them up to us today, reveal and give us understanding and clarity in your word today. Anoint the one who speaks. We know all of his limitations. That those who hear and receive by faith be blessed to hear this word today, O oh God. Let it take root. Let it bear fruit. We ask these things in Jesus' name. And all who agree say, Amen. The last couple of Sundays we've been talking about this war against the truth. We began back in Deuteronomy where we were warned that people would come speaking lies, claiming to have a knowledge of the truth, but instead presenting us with deceptions, and some of them even in the name of God. Last week, we talked about the standard of truth being the person of Jesus Christ, that anything that is not consistent with and concentrated on the person of Jesus Christ is suspect. Even though we live in a world today that even has done its very best to tear down and destroy the testimony of Jesus Christ, he remains the only standard of truth. We can trust him because we know that he has the truth in him. That his word and his life and his testimony bear witness to the truth. That truth that is so precious. That truth that according to Paul here in Romans chapter 1 is the very basis of our salvation. When we get to the heart of the matter of why truth matters, you say, Pastor, why is it so important? to maintain the integrity of the gospel, to maintain the truth concerning Jesus Christ, because there is no other way to be saved. It is the gospel of Christ 
And I'll say it again, it is the gospel of Christ and the gospel of Christ alone that has the power to deliver and save and heal this world and all who are in it. No other philosophy, no other no other political uh, strategy, no other economic plan, no other no other military might, nothing else can do what the gospel of Jesus Christ can do. Its power to save is exclusive. Its power to deliver is unparalleled. And because of this and because it contains such power. The world and all those who hate the truth and all those who love and believe the lie stand in opposition to the gospel of Christ. Amen. They work day and night. They labor without rest. They labor in constant struggle to pervert, to corrupt, and to destroy the testimony of Jesus Christ. Yes. And we who know the truth, and we who serve the truth, and we who walk in the truth are the particular objects of their attention. It is not too strong to say they hate us. It is not too strong to say they would see us destroyed for believing and standing on this truth. And yet today, we find that so many who should be the ones who stand in the truth are very quickly succumbing to the lies and to the deceptions of the enemy. And we must understand the stakes. I like to speak in positive terms. I like to declare the gospel of Christ as the power to save because I believe it is the will of God to save. I believe it is the purpose of God to save. I don't believe that God is willing that any should perish. I believe it is his desire that all come to repentance. But lest we get confused about that, let us make no mistake that the wrath of God has been revealed against any and all who would suppress the truth in unrighteousness. The danger of suppressing the truth is this. It is not simply that you eliminate yourself as the object of God's love and God's grace. But by suppressing, suppressing the truth, you deny the opportunity to others who might as well have been saved. Yes. Yes. We stand against these falses and these deceptions, not because we are worried for ourselves, for we have already been delivered. We already have seen the light. We have already accepted the truth. But we must stand on the basis of this truth, not for our sake, but for the sake of all those we love and all those we care about. If they are ever going to be delivered from their sins, if they are ever going to be saved, if this world is ever, and those who in it and those we care about and love, have any hope at all, it is only in the truth concerning Jesus Christ. Amen. And yet the world works daily, yes. diligently, yes. to suppress that truth, That's right. to offer alternative truths, yes. and alternative faiths, and alternative beliefs right. that cater to the corrupt nature and cater to the innate desire to glorify the self over and against glorifying God. Amen. Paul describes that dissent and what happens once truth begins to suppress. Once you begin to deny the truth, it is not very long, for something must take the place. We cannot live in a vacuum. 
We must live our life by some standard. We must have some guide. We must have something to aspire to. Something to use as a barometer, as a measuring line of what is good and what is evil, what is right and what is wrong. And when you suppress the truth, what replaces it? What idols, what gods become the standard then? If we are to deny our God as the standard of truth, what standard will you hold up? What will you offer in his place? The very thought, the very thought of trying to come up with an alternative standard other than the Creator. Well, let me say this first. I get ahead of myself. Why should we accept that God and God alone is the standard of truth? Paul makes one very simple argument that simply uh, uh, and basically uh, undermines every other source of authority for truth we could look to. God is the source of truth because God and God alone is the creator of this world. Anyone else who would want to claim, anyone else who would want to say that their truth is acceptable or that their truth is an adequate replacement would have to present the same bona fide, the same standard of authority, the same standard of what is right and what is wrong that God himself has written into the very creation that he made. And make no mistake, the enemy is doing his very best doing his very best to deny God his rightful place as standard by denying him his rightful place as creator. I'm not simply talking about the various scientific arguments about creation and evolution and all of that, although that's a a piece of the puzzle. But it goes much deeper, and it's much broader than that. When we say that God is the ultimate measure of truth, when we say that God and God alone determines what is right and what is wrong and what is good and what is evil, we are appealing to the very basic core principle that he who made us and the reasons for which he made us has the exclusive right and authority to determine what is best for us. And yet we see that principle rejected on a daily basis. We see in many households it is the children who determine the standards of the household rather than the parents. Amen. Amen. You, I, I've heard some things and seen some things, and I, I have seen children and young people today who are utterly and completely devoted to overthrowing all of the established authority and all of the established power base that God is rooted and grounded in his creation. They are determined to pull down and uproot and supplant every basis of truth and redefine the world according to their own convenience. You have seen the rapid transformation, and I know I'm walking on thin ice this morning. For if we say some of these things openly and plainly, we may soon find ourselves having to say these things from behind bars. But the redefining of all of the things that God has built into the core of his creation, from human sexuality and marriage, 
to the very conduct of what constitutes worship and acceptable living before God has been redefined in the span of a couple of decades so that the world we live in today is unrecognizable. Amen. Now, Pastor, these are, you know, this is a good thing, don't you think? We, we want to be a more tolerant and inclusive society. Tolerance and inclusion of sin does not benefit society. Amen. Oh, you're talking like one of those old-fashioned people. I, I, you will find me to be a very old-fashioned person. I am, and I say this, and I say this with all humility and all grace that I can muster. I do not believe that God makes a whole bit of difference between one type of sin and another type of sin. Amen. To stand up here and condemn one form of sexuality while winking at a different form is not upholding righteousness. If we are to condemn one, we must condemn all. Amen. If we are to say this is wrong, then everything that is outside of God's plan is wrong. It's simply wrong. And we and all of these false arguments and all of these false wisdoms and all of these false philosophies where we substitute human wisdom for the wisdom of God. All of these accommodations and what about this and what about that and how this one was born and how that one was made. But listen, we have an obligation. I say this to the homosexual. I say this to the transgender. I say this to the adulterer. I say this to the fornicator. I say this to the pornographer. There is no hope for your salvation if you deny your sin. You cannot be saved if you do not know that what you're doing is wrong. We do not understand this principle. We think that, we, that we're being mean, that we're being bigoted, that we're being prejudiced. But I promise you in the bottom of my, my heart, my only motivation is love. My only motivation is the desire to see these who have been taken in the bondage of sexual perversity be delivered by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which will set them free. My only desire is to see the debased mind healed and a new mind, the mind of Christ, be substituted for that debased and perverted thing called the human consciousness. I hate no one. I promise you that. I've lived, worked, and loved many of those caught up in all manner of sexual bondage. I've prayed for them. I've witnessed to them. I've called them my friends. I've stood side by side with them as they've gone through all of the various difficulties in their life. Always being a, a one they could come to and counsel with. Always being one who, can, who, could, who, who, would, who would tell them lovingly, speaking the truth in love. That you don't have to live this way. You don't have, oh, I'm happy like this. Okay. If you're content and happy like this, there's probably very little or nothing that I could say except to say this, and this is the hardest thing to say. And we quail, and I quail, I tremble at saying it. For who am I to make such a declaration? I'm nothing. I'm nobody. 
I am no man's judge. I am no man's jury. It is not for me to judge another man's servant. I'm not here to stand in condemnation of anybody. But if we are to offer them any hope at all, most of the time it has to be begin like this. You are under the judgment and condemnation of your Creator. That's a dangerous thing to say. But we have no trouble saying it to the thief. We have no trouble saying it to the murderer. We have no trouble saying it to the liar. We have no trouble going to the to, 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 to the to the corrupt politician or the corrupt businessman or the corrupt judge and say you're under the judgment of God when you pervert justice and when you oppress the poor and when you heap up things to yourself at the expense of your constituency. We say boldly to those. I say it to presidents. I say it to prime ministers. I'll say it to governors. I'll say it to Supreme Court justices. If you pervert your position, you're under the judgment and wrath of God. But to go to a sister, a brother, a child, a friend, and say, by perverting the very gift that God has given you of your own body, you're under the judgment of God, we shrink back. We shrink back. Because if we say such a thing, oh, we will be called such names. We will be ostracized. We will not be invited to all oh, the family events. And we'll, we'll be told we're the problem in the family. Well, guess what? They're right. I am the problem in the family. If the family is going to pursue a lie and a deception that is going to condemn souls to hell, do we still believe there is a judgment of coming on the unjust? If we believe there is a judgment coming on the unjust, then what? by what right do we keep our mouths shut? What kind of love is that? Oh, well, Pastor, you know, sometimes you just you just got to kind of love them and let God work it out. Okay. Let's try that for a little while. Let's see how that works. How's it going? How is it going? If we believe what Paul wrote, let's begin there. Do we start with this belief? This is why I started with verse 16. Do we believe the gospel of Christ is the power of God to save Everyone who believes. Amen. Amen. Don't amen it if you don't really believe it. Because if we start there, if the gospel of Christ is the power to save everyone who believes, if whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, how can they call on him of whom they have not heard? Amen. And how shall they hear except someone tell them? This spirit of silence, this muzzle that has been put on the mouth of God's people and on God's church, this fear we have of speaking openly, the truth concerning our created purpose, it is resulting and the condemnation and judgment of millions of souls into an eternal hell. Yes, yes. And we shall be judged. Well, Pastor, you know the church has changed its position on some of these things. Maybe the church has changed its position, but the Word of God has not. Amen. Yes. Make the distinction, please. Yes, 
The word of God has not changed. Forever, O Lord, is thy word settled in heaven. If it was wrong for Noah to do it, and Abraham to do it, and David to do it, if it was wrong in the days of Jesus, and Peter, and James, and John, it's wrong today. Nothing's changed. This demonic explosion of confusing three-year-old and four-year-old children where they don't even know if they're a boy or a girl. How can that be anything other than the devils of hell running rampant in our world? How can it be anything else? Oh, you know, we have these psychological issues. Listen, I understand there is such a thing as genuine mental instability and illness. I do not confuse. Don't let's not confuse that. Some people by injury or some people by circumstance of birth have an incapacity. They simply cannot distinguish between right and wrong. I count them among the innocents. That's my personal opinion on the matter. I don't believe there's any condemnation or any judgment unless one has an actual knowledge. Unless one actually knows that one one is doing is wrong. A little child may strike out in anger or frustration, but I don't charge them with sin. Because they are not of an accountable age. They are not of an age where they know the difference between good and evil and can make a distinction. And I put some, I don't care if they're 30, 40, 50 years old, if they are mentally incapable of distinguishing such things, they're in the innocent category. God has put them there as a witness to us of his grace and his mercy. But let us make a distinction between that and this demonic activity that openly, openly, openly perverts every good thing, carnalizes and sexualizes every single good gift of God. This is one of the signs Paul gives. You know the truth is being suppressed. You know that life... And the godly gifts that God has given to those of us in our life are being directly threatened by lies and deception when the good that God is doing and the good that God has incorporated in his creation is perverted to evil purpose. Oh, let me say this. We used to know this. A generation ago, there was no question. If your 10-year-old came to you and said, Mom or Dad, I don't know if I'm a boy or a girl anymore. You, look, you took him to the house of God and you prayed and said, pled the blood of Jesus and rebuked every evil spirit. And you stood on the word of God and the promise of God until you got the deliverance that you were seeking. Today, we take him down to the hair and makeup store and buy him wigs. I'm not trying to make light of it. This is not a joke. You're destroying this child's life. This child is going to grow up, and that state of confusion that they're in is only going to get worse and worse and worse their whole life. If God still saves, I don't think we believe this anymore, Pastor. I don't think we believe that this gospel can save people like that anymore. We've surrendered. We've given up. We've simply said, well, you know, that's just the way they are, the way they're born, the way it is, and we just walk away. When Jesus, imagine Jesus passing by the blind Bartimaeus there at the side of the road. 
And said, Bar, yeah, said, said, Brother, don't you know you were just born that way? Don't you just know you were born that way? That's the way God made you. Embrace your blindness. Leprosy. Don't worry about it. That's the way God made you. He built that into your DNA. Don't just embrace your leper status. Celebrate leprosy. We we know when something is wrong. We know when things are not the way they're supposed to be. Come on. I, I keep saying that. We used to know. We used to be able to recognize to say, no, that's that's not how it should be. That's not the way it's supposed to work. Something has happened here. Something has happened. Maybe it's physical. Maybe it's spiritual. Maybe it's demonic. Maybe it's whatever it is. Maybe they've come under evil influence. Maybe they've been maybe they've been molested. Maybe they've been abused. Maybe something's happened in the home that's destroyed their fragility of their mind. But we used to be able to recognize a problem when we saw it. And we used to say, this is beyond psychology. This is beyond even medicine. This must be something that only the gospel of Jesus Christ can perform. We had this mindset once upon a time. I told you, I'm speaking. I'm so tired of speaking in code. I'm so tired of being worried about being judged for what the word of God says. If we cannot speak plainly, why bother? Let's just call it now. Let's go get something to eat and go watch some football. If we can't speak plainly and talk about the real issues that the church is facing in this generation, our children growing up believing evil is good and good is evil and wrong is right and right is wrong and looking at us as if we're the idiots and the fools. Notice what Paul says, professing to be wise. Our children come to us, our grandchildren come to us now, and they're all so much smarter and all so much wiser than we are. Mom, Dad, you're so old. Grandma, Grandpa, you're so old, you don't even know how it really is anymore. I can't even imagine if I had gone to my grandmother with such nonsense. After I woke up, if I woke up, she was quick with that broom. My grandmother wasn't educated. I don't even know if she ever went to school. But she knew the word of God. And if something came out of my mouth that was contrary to the word of God, no, no, there was no sparing. Rods were not spared. Rods were used for the purpose for which God made rods. Amen. God put rods in the world for one reason. And that was not the foolishness out of me. Because it's foolishness. If your child came to you and said something along the lines of up is down and water's not wet, a little tap to the behind or a little tap on the back of the head, you'd say, come on, stop talking foolishness. You're not being mean. You're not being hateful. You don't hate your child. But you recognize if they keep believing stuff like that, they're going to be in a world of hurt. They keep believing that they can walk on water. They're going to get, they're going to find one day they're going to walk out too deep. You used to recognize when your child was going down the wrong path, it was your job to grab them by the back of the neck and say, nope, we're not going that way. 
There were times where some people might have thought I was being rough or harsh with my children. But I promise you this, uh, when one of them started to step out into the middle of busy section. I didn't ask their permission or try to negotiate with them to get off the road. I reached out, grabbed them by the back of their hair, and lifted them painfully and violently out of the path of the oncoming traffic. Not because I hated them, but because I loved them and didn't want to see them as a grease stain on the side of the road. And yet we are so willingly and obligingly content to let them wander through this world believing all manner of nonsense, foolishness, stuff that in our core, and I guarantee you in their core, they know is stupidity. But because it's pleasing to their friends, and because it's pleasing to their co-workers, and because it gets them in with certain groups, they go along with it. Until the mind becomes incapable. God gives them over. Those words scare me to death. I can't tell you how many times I've heard things come out of my own children's mouth and I've gotten on my knees and said, God, do not give them over. Do not give them over to this debased mind. Do not give them over to this. They know better. They were taught better. And it's, so, well, I don't want to risk my relationship. If I'm too bold or if I'm too direct, they're not going to want to talk to me anymore. They're going to, they're going to, oh my goodness. The enemy is such a liar. I don't say this with any, any joy. But there may come a time. I'm not prophesying. Don't get me wrong. I'm just speaking plainly. There may come a time where you're going to have to risk everything. If you really want to rescue them from the unrighteousness that God is getting ready to judge. You may simply have to say this. And you may go have to go to a friend who's been your dear friend your whole life. And say, I love you, and I don't ever want to not have a relationship. I don't want to have a world where you're not part of mine. But I need you to understand that what you're saying and what you're doing and the way you're living is coming under the condemnation and wrath of God. And if you don't turn now, your mind can get to such a point where you become unreachable. Can you imagine this idea of God giving them over is God washing his hands and saying, if that's who you want to be, so be it. He said, well, God would never do that. God has done that. He's turned entire cultures. Amen. Entire cultures over to their debased thoughts. Amen. I don't want to get political, but look at some of what's happened in our world just in our lifetimes. A place that was once a vibrant center of Christianity. Right, you could point at a map. You don't have to go far. You could go to Europe if you want. Some of the grandest and most glorious history of the Christian church is in Europe. You can go to South America. Go to a country like Venezuela country which was once known for sending missionaries throughout all of the jungles and all of the places in Central and South America. 
And look at it today. When a country abandons the truth of God and decides to create their own truth and God patiently, lovingly says, come back, and they don't. And God says, fine, have it your way. Have it your way. I tell you, church, you say, well, what about the United States? Are we there yet? I don't know. I'm, some of these things you can only see from a distance. I'd love to sit here and tell you that in the U.S. there's still a heart of revival and a, and a heart of love for God, and we'll eventually get this thing back on the rack track. But I don't know. Because we've made some decisions as a church in the United States to accommodate with certain political agendas. And God may say, I'm done with all of it. I won't share my glory with a party. I won't share my glory with the blues or the reds or the rights or the lefts. I won't share my glory with any of that. I'm not part of that. that If you want to go that path, you go without me. But I know this. The power of the gospel of Christ to save is still at work in this world. And everywhere we stand on truth, even at the high cost that it is currently, the current market value of truth has, right? We reduced it to an economic equation. You can't do that. Jesus did. Jesus did it very often. Some of his most famous parables or things about pearls of great price and treasures hidden in a field. You know these parables, right? Are they in your Bibles too? They're in my Bible. I don't know if they're still in everybody's Bible. But Jesus said one man found a pearl of great price and went and sold everything he had. Everything he had. Sold his home, his donkey, his camel, his sheep, his goats. His clothing, his furniture, whatever he had, because that pearl, that pearl was everything to him. Another man found a treasure hidden in the field. And he went, sold everything he had. Did the whole, I'll get rid of this, I'll get a yard sale, what is it, yard sale, garage sale, rummage sale, moving sale. There's an old leather strap to some shoe we can't even wear. Here you go. Sold it all because he knew that to possess the one thing of inestimable value was more important than having all the possessions of the world. Are we willing to make the same transaction today? Are we saying this gospel and this truth is so precious that there is nothing we won't sacrifice, nothing we won't give up, nothing we won't get rid of to have it? Even if it means, I don't know what, how, how, Jesus didn't go on and tell us how it all worked out. I can imagine that one guy, the pearl guy, I imagine him sitting in rags by the side of the road somewhere just clutching his pearl. I got my pearl. I've got my pearl. Everybody looking at him, boy, that, that guy's an idiot. Look at him. He ain't gonna even, he didn't have a place to live anymore. Be, oh, that's okay. I got my pearl. I got my pearl. The man doesn't have enough money for food. No, I don't. I, oh, he can sell. No, no, I'm not selling the pearl. The pearl is what I gave everything up for. The pearl is mine, and I'm keeping the pearl. Even if it means I have nothing else. You laugh, you smile, but are we there? Are we saying 
Are we willing to say, if it costs me everything, I must have this gospel of Jesus Christ and I must hold it with all I've I've got and not be willing to trade it or sell it or compromise it for anything? Are we so committed to being accepted by this world? What is it getting us? Are our churches any fuller? Not according to the statistics. Are our communities improved? I guess that depends on how you measure. Is our world one, one iota more righteous than it was before we compromised? Oh, well, we, we, we bring... You know, if we want we want to partner with all these different things and all these different people so we can bring more justice to the world. What kind of justice are we bringing? Who's who gets to define it? Who gets to say what is just and unjust? The communists, when they went to Venezuela, they were all about justice. No one can be rich as long as there's one person poor. So what's their solution? Let's make everybody poor. Except the guy in the palace. He gets to have whatever he wants. But everybody else, you know, you get what I give you. How does it, how does, how is what we're doing now working? If we were to take a stand, yes, there would be a price. But you know what? There would also be people out there that would say, thank God. Finally. Somebody's brave enough to speak the truth. Somebody's brave enough to say this whole world is going to hell and I'm not going with it. I don't know, church. I don't have every answer to every social dilemma we face today. And I am not about ostracizing or scarlet lettering anybody. I'm not about picking on any group or any particular type of uh, a person. I'm about proclaiming the truth of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world and telling them this is the way out. This is the power of God to save. And if you suppress this, there is no other path. And all that remains is the wrath of God. Would you stand with me this morning? This commitment to truth is costly. It's hard. To stand on these things and to do it in love. And let me emphasize that more than anything else here. Some people take particular joy in condemning other people. That should never be a joyful thing. You should go to them with broken hearts, weeping in tears. I remember one particular incident, maybe the most meaningful spiritual incident in my young life. I had been caught in some foolishness. I don't even know what it was. I don't even remember the co- what I was what I had done. I did a lot of bad things when I was a kid. It's hard to keep track of them all. But I remember going by my mother's door, and her door was closed, but I could hear her praying. And I could hear her begging God not to let her son die and go to hell. And I stood at that door for a few minutes, and I listened to my mother's tears and the heartbreak in her voice. And she knew that if I continued down the path I was on, my destiny would be 
to be separated for all eternity from her and from God. And that prayer, just listening to her pray, it broke my heart. And I, right there, standing in the hallway, I said, God, I don't ever want to put my mother in this situation again. Now, did I, was I a perfect child after that? Of course not. Did I do other things that were probably every bit as grievous, if not more? Of course I did. But I always remembered that moment where I heard the love of my own mother putting herself between me and God and saying, don't let him, don't let him go so far away. We can love these who are lost. We can love someone who's with a debased mind. We can love someone who's in a perverted relationship. We can love someone who's confused about who and what they are. We can love them to Christ with tears, with pleadings before God, begging God to touch their hearts, touch their minds. If not through us, then through somebody. We don't have to give them over. We don't have to give up on them. Father God, in the name of Jesus, our world is moving farther and farther away from truth every day. Every moment, it's getting its hooks deeper and deeper and deeper into the generation of the church. Every day, it is causing men and women of God to compromise the truth in a vain and void attempt to try to stay relevant, to try to stay acceptable, to try to stay, to stay palatable to this world. But you have called us to be the salt. You have called us to be the light. You have called us to be the irritant in the ointments to remind people that there is a way of righteousness and unrighteousness. That there is good and that there is evil. And that those who practice what is evil will come under the just and righteous condemnation of their creator. Every being must answer to their creator. And yet in your mercy, in your grace, you have postponed your wrath. You have given the space to repent. You have proclaimed the gospel of your son as the power to save. No matter how lost they may be today, your word assures us that they can be saved by the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For their salvation, we pray. Deliver them from their darkened hearts. Deliver them from their debased minds. Deliver them from their confusion. Deliver them from their, 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 their pleasures of, of the passions of the flesh. Deliver them, O oh God. Let them hear. Let them believe. Let them receive the truth concerning Jesus. Save this generation from itself. Save this generation from their sin. Save this generation 
Father God, we stand and we weep and we beg and we plead for these lives that have been consumed by those who suppress your truth. We beg for them today, O God. Give them to us as our inheritance. Let them be our reward in Christ Jesus. Keep your gold. Keep the silver. Keep all the things of this life. But give us the lives and the souls of those we love. Let that be our blessing. Let that be our prosperity. Let that be our wealth. Give us this generation. We rebuke the deceiver and all the lies that he has sown, all of the lies that he has planted in the hearts and minds of those we love. Pluck them up like weeds, O oh God. Spirit of truth, speak into the hearts and minds of these who are lost today. We give you thanks today, God, because we were once of these. And yet your gospel saved us and delivered us from the power of the enemy. How can it fail to deliver these others? It cannot. So we thank you, O oh God. These things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. This has been a production of the Lighthouse Church of God. Thank you for listening. We hope you have been blessed. You are welcome to join us for service every Sunday at 10.30 a.m. and on Wednesdays at 7.45 p.m. For more information or to support our ministry, visit our website at www.lhcogfl.org or if you're in the Broward County area, we would love for you to visit our church located at 1890 Southwest 31st Avenue, Fort Lauderdale, Florida, 33312. God bless you. Until next time, this is the Lighthouse Church of God, lighting the way through the storms of life.